Amen, amen. Church, it's good to be in God's house this morning, isn't it? I don't know if you noticed this, but it snowed this weekend. A huge thank you to those who um, helped clear the parking lot so that we meet together this morning. Um, wow, what a snow. I've never seen anything like that in my whole entire life. Yes, it's a joy. It was a joy. Um, my name is Tyler. I'm the youth and families pastor here, and uh, it's a joy to have you with us this morning. If you're here in person, thank you for joining us. If you're online, uh, joining us through Facebook or YouTube, we're glad that you've decided to tune in and join us as well. Um, if you could do us a favor, if you're, if you're a first-time guest or visitor, we'd love to know that you're here, um, and then we'd love to get you information that you may need. And so if you're online, you can just scroll down and click the link for the communication card. If you're here in person, um, you can go to our Church Center app uh, and uh, you can fill out a communication card that way. It's like the best way we know how to get you information you need and to get information that we need uh, to help you and and encourage you this morning. Um, I'm excited about today. I'm excited to to hear God's word. I'm excited that we have a baptism uh, in just a little bit. And I'm excited what God's doing in the hearts and lives of the people here at Newtown Road. I want to say a huge thank you for those who uh, brought dozens and dozens of gifts, 60 gifts uh, that are downstairs underneath the tree. Uh, They are being delivered this week to manor sites to kids uh, there. And so thank you, church, for uh, in two weeks, like providing gifts for all the kids that are there. Um, That's a huge testament to what God is doing. And it's a, it's, Uh, It's just a light for our community, just right in our backyard, Um, and we want to say thank you for that. The second service this morning, our kids are having a PJ party, okay? So if you have any kids that want to stick around and go to that, if you want to go home, put put your PJs on and head over there, maybe you can do that as well. Um, No, no. Pastor Matt, you're not allowed to do that, okay? Okay. Uh, And then probably the biggest announcement that we have is our Christmas Eve service. Uh, That's going to be 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Uh, But we need you to register for that. If you want to be here in person, uh, we have to make sure that we have enough seats to seat everybody. We don't have to turn anybody away. And so if you just go to your church center app or go to our main website, newtownroad.org, you can register your family that way uh, and lock that in. If uh, you would feel more comfortable staying at home, we will be, be streaming the service online, both at the 4 o'clock and the 6 o'clock, and that is the entire service. We're excited that we're going to be able to stream it all, music and everything, um, for Christmas Eve service. Uh, and so that's that. We would love for you to, to be here. If you can't be, we'll be streaming it online, but if you could register, if you're coming here, that would be great. Uh, and then, as always, thank you, church, for your continued faithfulness and giving. Um, uh, seeing your worship through your tithes and your offerings has been inspiring and, and encouraging to our church. And God is using that and your faithfulness in that. If you are prepared to give this morning and want to do that, you can do that in the black boxes um, right along the, the back wall on your way out. Uh, and that would be wonderful. We're going to continue to worship the Lord through uh, through. God's word and through the teaching of God's word, and I'm going to have Pastor Matt come on up. Uh, thank you, Tyler. It's good to see you guys. I feel like I owe you an apology. I complained last week about moving snow, and the Lord blessed me with 32 inches of it in my house. This week, I'd like to complain about moving bags of $100 bills and brand new vehicles. So um, maybe four, 
You know what I really hate? I really hate moving four college educations. That would be really helpful. So maybe this week the Lord will just show up in my driveway with, we'll be like Scrooge McDuck swimming through the money bin. Anyway, it is good to see you here today. I trust you all dug out well and uh, survived the snowpocalypse. Um, what a gift and uh, a good time to be together with our family. You know, the family that shovels together stays together. And so each, uh, each of my kids had a shovel in hand. That went over really well in my house. So, hey, good to see you all here today. We're excited to be gathered in God's house as we get close to Christmas. We are still in the throes of our Advent celebrations. And it seems like each week we're layering upon layer our, our anticipation of Christmas Eve and celebrating the birth of Jesus. And for those of you who are aware, we have been continuing to light candles each week as kind of a, a way just to help us to, to frame our, our celebrations. It, it, it has become a little traditional element that we've done each year, and um, I know I look forward to it. It helps, it helps me uh, frame my thoughts and my mind uh, around this Christmas season because it gets a little crazy. Yesterday I was out doing some last-minute shopping and pick up for my wife um, with 7.35 million other people in Clifton Park and uh, on roads that had not been properly cleared. So that was good. I turned off one road to where a, an on-ramp was supposed to be, and I found a snowbank. I'm like, they, they hadn't gotten there yet? I'm like, that, this is helpful. Like, they, a sign would have been nice, something, you know? Anyway, um, it gets crazy out there. People are upset and angry, and they're griping, and, you know, they're like me, complaining about snow. So it helps us to frame our thoughts and our minds. So we're going to continue to light our candles this morning. We, we lit the first candle a few weeks back, and we said the first candle we called the prophet's candle, right? The reason we call it the prophet's candle was that it helped to remind us that the plan of God's redemption for mankind was laid out before the foundations of the world. This was God's sovereign, merciful, wise plan to reconcile to himself all things through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what he had intended to do from the very beginning. And then in his mercy and in his grace, he didn't hide that information from us, but actually revealed it to us through the law and the prophets. And the prophets spoke hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived and announced his coming and a new king and a new kingdom like we just sang about this morning, like the words are plastered behind us, that, that unto us a child is born and a son would be given. God spoke to us through the prophets so that his people would be prepared. The second week, we lit what we called the Bethlehem candle. We called it that because it helped to remind us of the nature of Christ's coming. That the King of kings and Lord of lords in his arrival here on earth did not come with all the fanfare that we would normally ascribe to a foreign dignitary or, or some sort of visiting king. Instead, he came to the little town of Bethlehem in humility, clothed in meekness and mildness, born in, the, in a stable because there was no room for him at the inn. And we said that it, it showed us the nature of his coming and that his, in a first arrival, he came in humility, veiling himself in humanity in order to reach mankind with the gospel message. And he's coming again, but when he comes again, he's not clothed in humility. He's coming in triumph and victory. It causes us to kind of be caught between these two arrivals in meekness and in triumph. The, the third candle we lit last week, and we called that candle the shepherd's candle. And we, the reason we called it the shepherd's candle was because it, it served to remind us the kind of people to whom God announces this arrival. You see, we, 
we would tend to think that if the King of Kings was coming, if this long-awaited Messiah was on the move, then the first people to find out about it would have been the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the people in positions of power, the people in positions of influence, the kings, the rulers, they would be the first to know. And yet God didn't do that. Instead, the first people to find out about Jesus' birth were shepherds. We mentioned last week that shepherds, shepherding was not a noble profession. It was reserved for the lowliest in society. It was, uh, they were often swindlers and dishonest. And there they were outside the, the little town of Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And we, we remarked last week how great it is that at just the right time, we received the news of the gospel. Not because we were influential, strong, powerful, or wealthy, but because we were in need of, of a savior. We needed somebody to soften our hearts, to fix the, the problem of sin that we had racked up. We needed somebody to make us okay with God, because we weren't okay with God. And at just the right time, God came to us, not because we were influential and powerful, but because we needed him so desperately. This week, we light what we're calling the angel's candle. And the reason we're calling it the angel's candle is because it helps to remind us that at each stage of the, the story of Christmas, God sent a messenger to announce the birth of Jesus, that this was good news for all people. That, that word angel, our English word, comes from a word that simply means messenger. So angels make multiple appearances throughout the Christmas story. They bring God's message to his people. An angel spoke to Mary. An angel spoke to Joseph. An angel spoke to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist. Angel, an angel speaks to the shepherds. And in each case, they bring the message of God to his people. And the message had this common theme. He's here. God has fulfilled his promise. Help has arrived. You see, God saw the condition of his people. They were trapped in sin. He had reached down to them and he lifted them out of their sinful estate to bring them into his joy. He shone his light to a people who were locked in utter darkness. And this message of light in the darkness is, is for all people, even us. I want to remind you of what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9. Aaron read a part of it this morning. I'm going to expand a little bit. Isaiah tells his people, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You, God, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born and to us a, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our Advent celebrations. We thank you, God, that you spoke to us. 
before we knew who you were, before we even found our hearts searching for you, before we sensed that there was something broken and wrong in this world that you fixed, God, before all of that, you were speaking to us, revealing to us your character and your nature, showing us through creation that you're big and you're powerful, that you're, that you're all-knowing, that you're wise, showing us through the law and the prophets that you had a plan to rectify the sin debt in this world, showing us through the Lord Jesus the precision of that plan. God, we thank you that you've spoken. And now, Lord, I pray that we would listen. Lord, I pray that that we would open our ears and open our minds and soften our hearts this morning before you and allow you, God, to speak to us through the pages of the scriptures. Lord, we thank you that at just the right time you visited us with the gospel message and that you sent a messenger of some kind, a mom, a dad, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, a co-worker, a teammate, somebody to share with us the gospel message that had changed their lives. And we thank you for the power, God, the power of the gospel to change our lives as well. Lord, as we open the word today, we need your spirit to speak to us. We pray that we'd be ready to listen and that we'd have courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we continue to be uh, trucking through our Advent uh, celebration, focusing today our thoughts and our minds on the, the traditional Advent theme of love. Of the many things that this season brings to the forefront, love is at the top. A fondness and an affection for the sweetness of God's love is on display through our Christmas celebrations. So 1 John chapter 3 is where we're going this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 11. And I'll read through uh, verse 18 it looks like, yeah. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Amen. Well, a couple thoughts this morning on these, these themes of love as they come to us through 1 John chapter 3. The first is this, it's a timeless message of love. A timeless message of love. He tells us right away, I'm not giving you anything you haven't heard before. I mean, let's, let's, be, let's be clear. It's not an earth-shattering revelation that the people of God are supposed to be clothed in love, Right? Like in general, even, even people who think that we're part of a cult, even people who think we're just wrapped up in some fairy tale and weird psychosis, right? People who have no understanding of the depth of gospel, of the gospel of Christ, will look at us and say, well, yes, the people of God are supposed to be loving people. It's just a commonly held understanding. So we're not, we're not saying anything new. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, From the very beginning, if God is love, and he is, it's part of his essence and his nature, then the people who are connected him, by default, are to be people who are loving. 
I'm not telling you anything new, John says. This is no new information. This is the commandment you've heard from the beginning. You are to love one another. Okay? That's easy enough. But then he gives it a little bit more information. He says, you're not supposed to be like Cain. All right, well, now we're, now we're tossing our, ourselves back into the Old Testament story of Cain and Abel. Remember those, those two brothers, the, the, the sons of, of Adam and Eve? Do you remember what happened? Cain was of the evil one and murdered his brother. His brother's name was Abel. And why did Cain murder Abel? Because Cain's deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Okay, maybe you remember this story. God had given these two boys instructions concerning the sacrifices that were to be brought to him. God is worthy to be worshipped and adored. He is, he is infinitely powerful and all wise. He is good beyond all comparison. What he says goes and we find our greatest joy in submitting to him. He has the right to define for us what worship looks like and what our lives of obedience are supposed to be. And he said to Cain and Abel, he laid down requirements and, and um, ordinances for how the, the uh, sacrifices were to be brought to him. And what happened was, Abel, in obedience, brought the appropriate sacrifice to God. But Cain did not obey the Lord, decided to do something different. He brought a lesser sacrifice because it wasn't the one that God had asked for. And what happened was God was pleased with Abel, his brother, because he did what he was supposed to do. He obeyed the Lord. He walked in faith, and it was seen in obedience. But Cain's offering, God rejected because he didn't offer it in faith. He wasn't obedient. He, he did his own thing. And in that moment, anger and hatred welled up in the heart of Cain. Not against God, but against his brother. And as he was led by the evil one, he murdered his brother in the field. And why did he murder his brother? John tells us. Because Cain's deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And although it's not very rational for us today, it is predictable that it nurtured hatred in his heart. So then, brothers, he says... You're called to be people of love, but don't be surprised that the world hates you. All right, you see, John is saying to these churches, you are to be people of love. You are not to be like Cain in the Old Testament, who hated the righteous and murdered him. Instead, you are to be the righteous brother. But it should not surprise you if people hate you in your righteousness and obedience. Now this is a warning to readers. This, this, this could be a really discouraging thing. Actually, I would say it's continuing to be a discouraging thing to people that I know who are walking in faith even today. It's hard to understand how somebody who is dominated and moved by God's love for us in Christ who responds to that by being faithful to God and caring for his neighbor, it would ever be, would ever be uh, persecuted. How in the world does that make any sense? I'm motivated by the love of God in Christ to serve my neighbor, and yet oftentimes my act of obedience to God and love for my neighbor is not received that way. And in fact, there are many times where we feel the hatred of the world against us. 
hatred of the world against us in response to what we see as faithful obedience to God and a genuine concern and love for our neighbor. Don't be mistaken, he says. In your obedience to God, God will be pleased, but it's quite likely that your fellow man will not be. But your calling doesn't change based on their approval. You need to continue to be loving. You see, the world won't love you for your obedience and faithfulness. They're not going to love you because your deeds are righteous like Abel's were. They're going to find you peculiar. They're going to be confused by all of that. They'll think us odd at times. Sometimes they think that we're caught up in some kind of religious fanaticism. And we kind of are. That's okay. That's all right. I'm, it's a little, I'm a little fanatical about what, what's going on here, that God in his mercy and grace would love me enough to send Jesus to save me from sin, to give me purpose and life and a new family, a new people, a new home in heaven. You can be excited about that, but it, in, our, in our focus on obedience to Christ and the way that we love our neighbor, sometimes it's not received well that shouldn't surprise us. That's what John says. Don't be surprised when the world hates you in your righteous obedience. They, hate, they hated Jesus. And he told us, they'll, they'll, hate, you'll, they'll hate my disciples too. They'll go as far as to hate you in it. Like their ancestor Cain, they are led and influenced by an evil one. They, they might even turn on you. In part because in some way, your faithfulness and obedience reminds them someplace deep in their hearts and souls that their deeds are not faithful or obedient. They're, and it's hard to articulate that in the moment. I don't know that they'd even be able to. But, but your faithfulness to God, your righteous obedience to Him, your joy in serving Him, in some way is an indicator to them that they're not okay with God. That they don't experience those same, same things. And in confusion and anger, they turn on you. But our command stays the same. You're to love one another. Not because their approval is there, but because that's what God told us to do. Secondly today, it's, it's a timeless message. Secondly today, what we can see is that love is actually an indicator. An indicator of what? We don't need to make it any harder than, than we need to here. The Bible teaches that a love for our brothers is an indicator of our faith in Christ. And we need to hear this because sometimes the church of Jesus does not have the reputation of being the most loving to other people. But in fact, the love that we show to our brothers is an indicator of the faith that we have. By this demonstration of our love, it shows that our status in Christ is secure. He says that our journey from death to life, our journey from death to life, remember, we're dead in trespass and sin. We found life and freedom in Jesus Christ. That road from death to life is actually confirmed by the presence of godly love in our lives. This should sober us for just a moment today. Because I wonder how often we as believers in Jesus allow bitterness and anger. We allow a sinful desire to win an argument or to be right we, we allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking we have some kind of right to hold a grudge for years and years against somebody who wronged us or offended us. No. No, no, no. We, we allow all of that to cloud what needs to be the clear witness of God's love in our lives. Our love for one another is a sign of our status as a child of God. 
Isn't that what Jesus told us? That the world would be able to identify his disciples, not by their political allegiance, not by their t-shirts and bumper stickers, but by the way they loved one another. A life of love is what would distinguish the followers of God from other people. That's how, that's, how they, that's how they'll be able to spot us. By our love for one another. Love received naturally moves to love extended. Paul tells us that love is the first fruit of the Spirit. John helps us here to understand that the inverse of that statement is true as well. That an absence of love would also be an indicator as well. So love in the life of the believer is an indicator of his status as a child of God. A complete absence of love in the believer's heart would also be a sobering indicator as well. A lack of love is a sign that a person has not truly understood the love of God in Christ. Because once we receive God's love, his love moves through us to other people. The one who hates his brother, verse 15 tells us, the one who, like Cain, hates his brother, that's an indicator that eternal life has eluded him. So love is an indicator to us. It's a timeless message. We are called to love one another. Love in our lives is actually an indicator of our status with Jesus. The people of God are supposed to be people who are loving. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always in good graces with everybody. Sometimes the most loving thing in a situation isn't comfortable or fun or enjoyable. Some of you are parents, you know how this works, right? Sometimes the most loving thing to do in the lives of those we, that we care for is, is to take the long view, to remind them of biblical truth, to hold them accountable to what they've said, and kind of hold the line. It's not always received well, but it has to be the mark of our lives. We are compelled because Christ's love compels us. That, that's the motivator of our lives. And Christ is the standard of love. That's the third point this morning. Christ is the standard of love. Maybe we should have brought this up a little earlier in our conversation today, but when we say the word love, we are often at great risk of being misunderstood because culturally, there's a whole lot of counterfeits for love that don't match what the Bible describes as love. And Paul Tripp, who is one of my favorite Christian counselors, in his amazing marriage book called What Did You Expect? By the way, if you need a book, that's a good one. Great, a great Christmas gift would be What Did You Expect by Paul Tripp, an amazing book. He talks about some counterfeits for biblical love that culturally we have bought into. And here's a couple of them. One, one of them, he says, is physical attraction. That sadly, we confuse a physical connection with genuine love. In some, in some cases, people chase physical attraction all the way into marriage. Now, physical attraction is a part of a loving relationship. <laughs> remember that old song, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, just make an ugly woman your wife? Remember that? Pastor Duke, remember that song? That's a lie. That's an absolute lie from the pit of hell. But 
the, uh, the simple truth, we, remember in Bible college, we used to pray that God wouldn't give us ugly women. We just, oh, Lord, please, just, I'll do whatever you want. Just don't send me far away and, you know, don't make me marry somebody ugly. Physical attraction is part of the equation, of course. Of course physical attraction is part of the equation. But it's not the sum total of love. That's not where love resides. It, that's fleeting. That is fleeting. There's a shelf life to that. Charm is deceptive and, and beauty is fleeting. It just, it goes away. So physical attraction cannot be what you base your relationship on. That's not love. And, and if we're honest, physical attraction is a lot more about how that person makes you feel than about who they really are. It's a, it's a selfish, twisted version of love that actually points back to you, not outward to them. And that's not biblical at all. Another... another um, Another counterfeit that he mentions is emotional connection. Now it's, a part, it's an important part of the equation, but you've met someone, you can talk to them, and you just connect to them, they relate to you, and, and, and yes, we all know you could talk to them for hours. They just get you, like at a deep place. They just understand you, and it's just the most amazing thing in the whole world. They just love you. Right, right, you got this emotional connection. Right? But emotional connections are, I'm a father of a teenage girl, can you tell? <laughs> emotional connections are important. Yes, they're important. But it's not the sum total of love. You can emotionally connect with a lot of people. That doesn't mean that that's the standard of love. Some of us have, have even misunderstood spiritual unity to be love. As a survivor of the Christian college scene, I can tell you this is true there, that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's a spark, boom, instant recipe for great marriage. No! No, that's, that's actually a really bad idea. Actually, slow down a lot and, and, and go back to the foundation here. See, just because somebody's a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that that's this amazing, amazing story of love. You share a spiritual unity actually with everybody who's a believer in Jesus, right? Your relationship with them is different. Being a, spiritual unity is an important piece of a loving relationship, but it's not the sum total. Each of these counterfeits, again, each of these counterfeits actually turn back in on us. How do I feel in this moment? How does this person make me feel? That's the, that's the problem with cultural counterfeits on what love looks like. Because they're focused on what I receive in the relationship and how I feel in the relationship. And that's not biblical love. Because God defines love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Romans 5.8 tells us. Therein is God's love. That God loved us, not, it's, it's not defined by our affection for him, but by his moving in our lives to send the Lord Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment and covering. So in that sense, what we're, what we're hearing today, by this we know love, verse 16, that he laid down his life for us. The standard of, of love is Christ. And the Christ-like love doesn't turn back in on itself, but turns out towards the one in need. That's what love looks like. Love looks like sacrifice. Love looks like a decision of great consequence. It's costly. Love is not driven by merit, not driven by a position of debt. Like, like 
like Christ owed us, so he had to, no. No, no, love is driven by grace alone. And then John says, you ought to also lay down your lives for your brothers. What? Christ is the standard of love. You also ought to lay down your lives. Is God telling us that every Christian's responsibility is to die, physically die for his, his neighbor? Well, no, obviously that's not true because we're all still here. What is he saying? So, some over the course of church history have been given that calling for sure. What is he saying to us? He's saying that in the same spirit, we ought to also embrace that kind of radical statement of love. That in the same way Jesus offered himself at great cost and held nothing back, we too ought to love our brothers and sisters and care for them sacrificially, holding nothing back. And then to highlight the point he's making, he gives this example. If someone has the world's goods and a brother is in need and that person who has the stuff closes himself off and doesn't give it to them, that's not love and that's an indicator that God's love is not in him. You see how he's tying it all together? The way that Jesus laid down everything and gave everything he had in order to love us, we are to hold loosely to the things of this world and to love our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Rather than caring for them and meeting their needs, this brother refuses to allow himself to feel compassion for the one in need. And John asked this question, if that's you, if you're the kind of person who has the world's goods and yet chooses not to share them, how can God's love be in you? That's what he says. Ouch. That is a sobering reality this morning. The love of God in us makes us loving people. Children, which is John's way of addressing his people in his church, he has a spiritual father relationship with them. My little children, he says, let's not be people who talk about love, let's show it. Let's be people who show love in deed, who show it in our actions. Be genuine in your love. And one of the distinguishing marks of the child of God is that they would be loving in action. Giving. Sacrificially. I, just, I know it's a sobering thing and we need to all take, in, into heart where, take to heart what, what God is telling us. But in seasons like this, when Pastor Tyler just reminded us that a tree filled up downstairs with, with all these wonderful gifts on a year where out of the abundance of your heart you gave over $25,000 above and beyond your normal giving so that we could give $20,000 away into the community and continue to serve. And it should be remind, you should be reminded of the, the testimony of God's love in this congregation. That when the opportunity is presented... You have historically been a people motivated by love who hold nothing back and give sacrificially to those in need. And that's a commendable thing. You should definitely seek your heart on it this morning, but I don't, I don't want you to walk away from today thinking, wow, our pastor thinks that we're, we're Scrooges here. No, I don't think that at all. I think I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says, right? All right, so what? What does all this mean? One, the love of God is on display clearly during this Advent season because... We're celebrating and honoring a God who gave to us the gift of his only son. 
the love of God, this kind of, this kind of sacrificial, costly grace, this love that we're talking about here, is on display because we are honoring a God who held nothing back and gave to us a son. Secondly, we see the love of Christ during this season in his willingness to offer up his life in faithful obedience to the Father's plan and out of the depths of his love for you and me, offer his life for us on the cross of Calvary. So God's love is on display through this Christmas season because he gave his son. The love of God in Christ is on display because we know that Jesus was born to die. And today, through this passage and through this season, we hear again the call of God to love one another. Our experience of the love of God in Christ moves us to be loving people, moves us to be agents of reconciliation, agents of forgiveness, agents of sacrificial and costly grace. May God help us this Christmas season to revel in his love for us and to extend his love to those around us for his purposes and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, its truth, and its power. Thank you for the love that we've experienced in you. Lord, I pray that this morning you would open our hearts and maybe there's some who are watching or some who are uh, with us who, who have never understood the love of God in Christ in those terms, that They've never seen Jesus as the Savior, the, the perfect born Son of God who lived a sinless life and died on the cross to save us from sin. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that the lights would go on for them and they would understand the truth of the gospel, that through our own efforts we can never be made right with God, but only through the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers. I pray, God, that you would um, reconcile and draw people together uh, to yourself through the blood of Jesus today. Lord, I pray for our congregation that we would be a people marked by the love of God in Christ. Sacrificial, cheerful, glad. I pray, God, that we would continue this Christmas season to extend love to others because we have received it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us, and we'll continue to sing a few more songs. Those of you on the live stream, it was good to see you this morning. As always, 9 and 11 right here. You can watch us online, or you can meet with us here uh, on our campus. We'll look forward to seeing you Christmas Eve at 4 and 6.